0: Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against
1: you.
2: Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
0: which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before the beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no. But it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then, how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed, and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know.
1: They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly
0: been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud. Eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them,
1: He put mud on my
0: eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son. that he was born blind but we do not know how it is that he now sees nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him he is of age he will speak for himself his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue therefore his parents said he is of age ask him So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships and obeyed will. never since the world began had it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person-born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see, may see, and those who do say, see, may be Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord.
3: my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. As Becky noted in her sermon last week, our Lenten worship this year offers us long and layered stories from the Gospel of John. Two weeks ago, we heard of Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. Last week, it was the woman at the well. And by the way, Jesus' conversation with her is the longest conversation he has with anyone in all of the Gospels. Today, we have the healing of the man born blind. If we want to see this story about sight, we first need to know why John told it the way he did. From John's perspective, you cannot meet Jesus and remain neutral. Once you encounter Jesus, you must decide whether you are for him or against him. There's no middle ground. And so, in John's telling of the story, Jesus' healing of the blind man causes a sharp divide. Among the religious authorities. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? The tension in the story is palpable. John was also writing decades after Jesus' death and resurrection to some Jewish Christians who had been asked to leave their synagogue. Their belief in Jesus as the Messiah was seen as incompatible with Jewish teaching. They could not stay. And so John weaves this reality into the story of the man born blind. John notes that the man's parents were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. As we listen to the story, we need to remember that John is speaking about the leaders of one synagogue at one point in time, and not the entire Jewish faith throughout history. John also takes his time with this story, telling it in several scenes, because John is telling a story of enlightenment of how our eyes are opened over time to the light of Christ. In fact, in the early church, those who were baptized were called the Enlightened Ones. So as John tells the story, the man goes from being blind, to receiving his sight from Jesus, to calling Jesus a prophet, to saying to the Pharisees, If Jesus were not from God, he could do nothing. And finally, to another encounter with Jesus, in which he worships Jesus. It is John's focus on enlightenment, I think, that allows us to see something in this story today. I notice that as the man becomes increasingly enlightened, he also becomes increasingly isolated. Some of his neighbors don't recognize him once he's no longer blind, They bring him to the Pharisees. The man tells them his story. Jesus put blood in my eyes and I washed. Now I see. But instead of rejoicing with him at this miraculous healing, the man's story provokes a crisis among the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask the man's parents what happened. But his parents are no help to their son. They will neither confirm nor deny what happened because they're afraid. The Pharisees summon the man a second time to hear his story. And though the man is steadfast in his witness, the Pharisees insult him and insult Jesus. Finally, John tells us the Pharisees throw him out of the synagogue. In the space of a few minutes, this man has lost his community of faith. I see among us entirely the opposite dynamic. Like the man born blind, we're the enlightened minds, not because we're intelligent or educated or clever, but because we've seen Jesus and been baptized into his death and resurrection. Unlike the man born blind, we always, always have a community around us that affirms and strengthens strengthens and rejoices in our continuing enlightenment. This enlightenment takes time and so we try to take our time here at Trinity, Sunday after Sunday, offering together the prayers and praises of our worship. We repeat these prayers, these patterns, these seasons over and over so that the liturgy might begin to live in us so that our lives take the shape of our liturgy. To become enlightened, is to become our worship. Enlightenment takes time, and it also entails risk. We are extremely fortunate that we here do not risk our lives when we profess our faith. That is not true for Christians in other parts of the world. And yet, the world outside these walls has no use for a God who became poor for our sake, a God who lived among and cherished the despised, a God who gave up everything for us on the cross. Time and again, the world disparages and discounts those who have seen Jesus and strive to live as his disciples. And so we need this place this little sanctuary from the world. We need to know that we can come to this sanctuary on Elm Street and within its walls hear the old, old story of our faith, pray with each other, receive God's forgiveness, and celebrate holy communion with Jesus. Enlightenment takes time. It entails risk. And it requires companionship. Unlike a man born blind, here we are together in this place, surrounded by brothers and sisters who are on the same journey of enlightenment, who are interested in our continuing enlightenment, who will uphold and encourage us when the way of enlightenment tries our soul. Is there any place in your life like this place? What is it worth to you? In a real sense, what we receive from Trinity is priceless. But at the same time, we use the gift of money to signify what is important to us and to give expression to our gratitude. What is Trinity worth to you? Our journey to sustainability is in part about the coming enlightenment. It will enable us to see clearly where we are right now, to envision a way forward, and to receive new opportunities to express our gratitude for this sanctuary of enlightenment that is so precious to all of us.
4: Ask your prayers for God's people throughout the world for my In our diocesan awesome cycle of prayer, we give thanks and pray for the ministries of the Church of the Redeemer, Chestnut Hill, Boston College Campus Ministry, Chestnut Hill, St. Dunstan's Church, Dover, Christ Church, Eden, Ministries of the Death, and the Church Periodical Club. Pray for the Church. I ask your prayers for peace, for goodwill among nations for the well-being of all people. Pray for justice and peace. I ask your prayers for the poor, the sick, the hungry, the oppressed, and those in prison. Pray for those in any need or trouble. I ask your prayers for all who seek God, for a deeper knowledge of God. Pray that they may find Remember especially those we name now. Pray for those who have died.
5: We remember those for
4: whom we have been asked to pray Mike, Jason, Tom, Jackie, Amy, Roy, Susan, Judy, TJ, John, Richard. Susie and Ellie, Don, Jim, Martha, Robert, Jack, Barbie, hey. Logan, Avina, Sarah, Janice, Ralph, Will, Vivian, Lynn, Edith, Thomas, Claire, Stephen, Anne, Catherine, Agnes, Alice, Joan, Franklin, Susan, Orly, Peter, Kirsty, Eric, Gail, Win, Harry, Aldona, Win and Jenny, Edie. The victims of terrorism in London. Those without jobs. Those serving in the military. All who work for peace, and all those suffering. for those for whom we
1: care
4: and love. I invite your prayers and intercessions at this time, whether silently or loud. Praise God for those in every generation in whom Christ has been honored. Pray that we may have praise to glorify Christ in our own day. Is join me in praying the prayer for our parish and founding your mountain. Gracious God, we pray that your Holy Spirit, God, Trinity Church, in this time of change and transition. Church,
1: Morning. Morning. Welcome to Trinity
0: Church this morning. And if you're visiting, um, we hope that you will, first of all, welcome if you're visiting. We hope you'll visit our welcome table near the doors and sign a guest book because so you know who you are. Also, there's some people there who would love to meet you and answer your questions. And we hope that all visitors and non visitors enjoy this for coffee hour after the service through the doors downstairs and around into the parish hall. I also want to thank. Minutes. Chris, thank you. Uh, Chris has been offering a forum, a Lenten forum series in the past four weeks. Today was the final one. She's an art historian and an ordained Episcopal priest. And it, it has been such a gift um, to see this artwork through the ages and um, the theology behind it, and the
1: stories behind it, and Chris's wonderful perspective on it. So thank you.
0: And I believe we have a few
4: now. I
3: at that in Manhattan, um, They're coming uh, for two days. They were given a grant, and they're uh, performing on Tuesday evening in St. Cecilia in Boston, and they'll be with us at 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening for one hour, and I guarantee you we'll just be absolutely enthralled. So I hope many of you can come, and please invite anyone you know who loves good music, and hope to see you.
2: Sunday, April 2nd, we will only have one service, which is at 9 a.m. Following the service, we will be gathering in the parish hall to continue our discussion about sustainability. Uh, over the years, our pledge amounts have stayed relatively straight. Our expenses have continued to raise. And the we beginning this year, started to discuss with you the fact that we have a short call. I'd like to get your thoughts on the matter. So again, please come and celebrate the service with us the next Sunday at 9 a.m., and then come and gather with us in the parish hall so we can talk about the future. Thank
5: you. You ever have one of those days where you think you got a lot done, and then you go back the next day and look at what you did, and you realize you made a lot of big mistakes? The sun out in front of the church has last week's date for next week's concert. (laughs) It's totally my fault. I looked at the day's date, wrote the 22nd, because that's the day I printed it. So I need your help to get me out of this mess. You need to spread the word, as Lucy pointed out, the concert is next Wednesday. Spread the word, we'll try to get that sandwich board mixed as soon as possible. Ted's shaking his head no. (laughs) We'll do what we can, but I own the mistake. I don't want anybody to think that it was somebody else's mistake. It was my mistake. Uh, so the St. Thomas concert is, in fact, next Wednesday. Don't think you're having an alternate reality when you walk out to the sandwich board and says it was last Wednesday. today. Um, the other announcement I'd like to make is, um, because of the sustainability issue in the one service next week, and because the following week is Palm Sunday, this is my last chance to make an announcement for uh, Holy Week. And I'd like to point out something special about our Tenebrae offering this year, and that is that the setting of the lessons of the lamentations that we will be doing in that service um, have probably not been done, certainly in Concord, probably in Massachusetts, and maybe not anywhere for a very long time, because we will be using an edition that Sally has taken from a manuscript. And they're by a fairly obscure French composer, but they're very simple and very lovely. I commend them to you. They were written in 1705 by Jean-Baptiste uh, Buffet. And I want to commend that Wednesday night tenebreary service to you, as well as uh, music for meditation, Friday after the Friday Liturgy. Those are both strictly musical events as part of the Holy Week celebration. And feel for
1: details,
0: <laughs> details about our Holy Week services and time um, in the window there will be healing prayer right over here in this transept during communion and immediately following for anyone who would like prayers for themselves or someone they're thinking about today. Um, today, we're here. Walking on as friend loved us and gave himself for us and offering this sacrifice. Angels and with all the faithful of every generation. We lift our voices with all
1: creation as we sing.
0: your goodness in the world around us, and so you violated your creation, abused one another, and rejected your love. Yet you never ceases to care for us, and prepared the way of salvation for all people. Through Abraham and Sarah, all that was covenant with you, you delivered us from slavery, sustained us in the wilderness, and raised up prophets to renew your promise of salvation. Then in the fullness of time, you sent your eternal word, made mortal flesh in Jesus. Born into the human family and dwelling among us, he revealed your glory. Giving himself freely to death on the cross, he triumphed over evil, opening the way of freedom and life. On the night before he died for us, our Savior Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his friends and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. As supper was ending, Jesus took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for all, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Remembering his death and resurrection, we now present to you from your creation this bread and this wine. By your Holy Spirit, may they be for us the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Grant that we who share these gifts may be filled with the Holy Spirit and live as Christ's body in the world. Bring us into the everlasting heritage of your daughters and sons, that with all your saints, past, present, and yet to come, we may praise your name forever. Through Christ, and with Christ, and in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, to you be honor, glory, and praise forever and ever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold.
1: Thank you.
5: Almighty and ever living God,
1: we thank you for feeding us the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and for ensuring us to holy mysteries, that we are living members of the body of your Son, and heirs.